Well, welcome in everybody to the Blues expanded pregame show here on 101 ESPN as we are lengthening this one out before we get to puck drop tonight. 9.30 of round one, game one between the St. Louis Blues and the Vancouver Canucks. We got some fun stuff along the way all before we get into our pregame show, which starts at 8.30. Chris Kerber, Joe Vitale have puck drop tonight at 9 o'clock. And we start things off with another edition of Behind the Bench. And to do that, we welcome in a former goaltending coach for the St. Louis Blues, a former NHL goaltender, and now he's a analyst for the Vancouver Canucks on Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver. Corey Hirsch, it is great to catch up with you and talk with you, sir. How are you tonight? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing? Doing fantastic as well, and mostly because we have seen some incredible hockey so far, Corey, and I'm curious from your angle of being around the NHL for so long, seeing how this has been pulled off from the player's perspective has to make you feel pretty good about what the NHL has done. You know what? They've done a fantastic job. They, they really have. Um, you know, it's a, it's a just to see what's happening around other leagues, and the way um, hockey has done it, they're going to be the model for everybody. And if this doesn't go in the future, you know, we don't find a, a vaccine or whatever, I could see other leagues using this model to, um, even in the regular season, until we get this figured out, because this is the only way that sport can be played. Well, and it's something, too, that, you know, you look at next season for the NHL. Of course, it's going to be a quick turnaround in the offseason, and if there's not any answers in terms of the COVID situation, you could be looking at another bubble scenario set up for the NHL next year, which is a good thing to have right now of knowing that it's successful. Yeah, you know what? It's um, Like I said, they have to be the envy of, of all the other leagues right now, and um, one part of it too, though, and, and not you know, with what's going on in the USA and, and all the, you know, all the hoopla over masks and all that stuff. And I, I don't get on anybody's political side; it's whatever choice you want to make. But you've seen what's happened in Canada here. People really trying to adhere to what the what the rules are and what the government have said. We've kept our numbers down, which gives us hockey in Canada, right? There's a reason. The people have done a great job. Um, I know that the NHL wanted to go into the USA but they couldn't take the risk with the number of cases that are there. So, you know, ultimately that means that it's, that, that gave Canada the lift of, that they could be, uh, you know, hub cities for the NHL and then we're seeing them do a great job. Well, and honestly, Corey, that's the part that impresses me more than anything because it was, what, a couple of weeks before we actually saw the return to play start. It was going to be Vegas as one of the cities and the NHL flipped the script pretty quick to Vancouver and Toronto and it turned out flawlessly with these two bubbles and having three consecutive weeks of zero positive tests. Yeah, they and they wanted, like, they wanted... I know that they wanted one hub in, in the U.S. and one in Canada. Like, they wanted to make it fair for everybody. But they had to, they had to make a decision, and they had to make it, make it quickly. Um, and that's too bad. That it's too bad because, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm actually a dual citizen, so I have no you know, qualms with either side. Like, I, whoever gets it or whatever, I would have loved to have seen uh, a hub city in Vegas. But, you know, it's, it's, an, it's an attribute to the people of Edmonton and Toronto. 
to get the numbers down so that they can be a hub city. What have you taken away, Corey, of the actual process that has been taking place in the bubble? Because from the players' perspective, you know, it's not the it's not the ideal situation to where you're locked in a city for this amount of time, but it seems like the ability to focus on hockey and have this shot at a Stanley Cup, there's some there's some there's some confidence that they know that they can pull this thing off, which which seems like the players have some relief in it as well. Yeah, you know what? It's, uh, it is it is a relief for the players. Now, the question is, is going to be what are they going to do what the NBA did with allowing some close family members in, into the bubble? Because I'm not sure how many guys want to go the full two months without seeing people, right? right. So um, it's, that's, that's the tough side of it for the players. And, you know, you, you don't want to, you don't, you're not trying to make it a prison for the players. They've done a nice job. They've got restaurants and all that. But at some point, you know, these guys are going to be, hey, I got to see my wife or I got to see my, you know, Bo Horvat place for the Canucks has a has a new uh, as a little baby just born like a couple months ago right so um, it's it, that's something that probably will have to be addressed at some point but for now you know the only chance you know I wouldn't say the only chance but the best chance the Canucks have against the Blues is that the Blues went through the grind last year and know what's in front of them and they don't want to stay in a bubble for two months. Well, and I, I would imagine that's going to be a big hurdle for the St. Louis Blues to get over. And honestly, Corey, from from the players' perspective, how long do you think it is before that becomes a major challenge for some of these players? I, You know what? I think it probably already is. I think once you can get through the first couple of rounds and see the light at the end of the tunnel, I think it'll get it'll actually get better. Uh, but I think right now, here in the next couple weeks, I think you're going to see some teams that are going to get tired of it, that are going to be like, I don't want to do this for another six, eight weeks. Um, I, do, I do think, though, once a team gets through the second round and you can see the light at the end of the tunnel, I think the hockey will get even better and that it won't be a problem. But I think mentally you have to get the players through these next couple weeks, two, three weeks. Um, that's going to be the toughest time for these guys. Again, we're talking with Corey Hirsch, the Vancouver Canucks analyst for Sportsnet in Vancouver. We're going to talk a lot about the Canucks in just a bit to get his perspective on this team. Uh, Corey, in terms of the, the play on the ice so far, how surprised have you been at how amped up these games truly have been i mean heck we saw a five overtime game last night in the first round of the playoffs so uh, does this show you that it's actual stanley cup hockey rather than the asterisks that everybody was talking about in the past i do and i I think last night's game will be a kind of like a what do you say you know like a sign for other teams that there's teams that are seriously committed to this um so you're, you know, they, they've shown last night that all the to the, all the other teams, like like these two teams are committed. And if you're not going to be committed, you know, you're going to get bounced. So I think it was a great thing yesterday that that went as long as it did. It just shows that these players actually do really care about this, that they want this to happen, that it doesn't matter where they are or what they do. Stanley Cup is something that they are going after, and that's you know that's what they that's what they want. So last night's game was a great sign to show all the fans and every other team out there people watching like these guys are committed man like they want to win so 
I thought the best thing that could have happened was last night's game. Yeah, and you know, it's funny that you say that, Corey, because if anything, and you know these players are watching these other games because there's not much else to do in this bubble at night. If anything, that's the tone setter for a lot of players, like defensemen seeing Seth Jones play 61-plus minutes of hockey in a five-overtime game and still losing. To me, as a player, that would say, okay, so this is this is the level that this is going to be yeah. at every single night. Absolutely. And, and you know what else it shows? It's like, even if you're a fan on the fence going, well, really, is it going to be a true Stanley Cup winner? You know, is it really going to be the same as all the other ones? You know, they're in a bubble. How hard are these guys trying? I think they blew that out of the water last night with five overtimes. Uh, you know, so you can't question these guys' commitment and will to win and whether or not the Stanley Cup is going to be, uh, you know, the Stanley Cup might be now harder than any other cup because you've got teams that are healthy. Everybody's healthy and it's a fair playing field going right into it all the way. Like this has probably been the most fair Stanley Cup you could have. Well, and that's been the common phrase. You know, people keep saying, oh, well, this championship's going to have an asterisk next to it, whether it be the Stanley Cup or in the NBA or in Major League Baseball. But watching that first game, and I think you're going to see that a lot in these series, you're going to see those legs kind of turn another gear because players realize that, oh, hey, I've had four months off. My body doesn't feel like what it usually feels like when you enter the playoffs. Yeah, and it's uh, like I said. I, I think this one might even be the one of the harder ones to win. Uh, you know, this one could have an asterisk because it's uh, the fact that you know, not no disrespect to the guys that go through the grind after a regular season because that is the ultimate test as well. But but this is a mental test too, right? Like this is this is mentally you're 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 not in. You know, there's really no home games. It's a level playing field. And how long can you stand staying in this bubble? You know, this is like Survivor. <laughs> We're in a Survivor pool right now. Survivor, NHL Survivor, yeah. That's probably a better example. Uh, well, that's spot on with it, to be honest with you. Hey, Corey, uh, your time as a head coach, or your time as a co- goaltending coach and as a coach uh, on a staff, what would th- this bubble be like for a coach? Because I-, I would imagine you can only sit there and watch film only so much before you go insane. Yeah, I'm not. Well, that's where they, you know there's got to be some other things for these guys to do. Um, that's where I'm wondering where families are going to come in. But yeah, you know. But here's the one thing about coaches that I do know: the ones that are really committed, um, they're so obsessed with hockey they could watch it for 24 hours. So it's like, you know. Uh, but I, as a goalie coach, you can only watch a save so many times, right? Where it's like uh, you're watching your goalie and you only have have one guy to deal with that. I could see some teams being overcoached in some of this, right? Overthought just because the coaches don't have anything else to do. <laughs> well, and I'll tell you the part that catches me, you still see the fire in these coaches in, in only a couple of weeks in the bubble. I mean, John Tortorella is in prime John Tortorella form. Craig Berube still looks like a man that frightens every single person that looks at him. These coaches oh, yeah. don't feel like they've had four months off. They feel like they're ready to go. Yeah, it, coaching is a whole different animal. I've, I've been on that side, and it's um, it really is. And you look at, um, you know, we should almost make a rule that, that anything these coaches say and do can't can't be held against them because <laughs> after three months, you know, after a month in a, in a bubble like that, who knows what's going to come out of John Tortorella's mouth, right? <laughs> so um, it's uh, it, it's just, it, it's like, you know, like we said, the hockey's been fantastic. We, we're all getting used to not having the fans there and that. There is an element of electricity that's missing, 
Um, but, you know, this is the best-case scenario, and I give the NHL all the credit in the world for being able to pull it off. Do you find yourself, Corey, in the midst of broadcasts forgetting that there's actually no fans in the stands? Because for me, at least these last couple round-robin yeah. games, you, you kind of forget that every once in a while. You do. Uh, you do. And it's, um, you know, the only time I, I, re- I realize I recognize it is when a guy gets hurt. Yeah. It's definitely silent, right? It's just eerily silent when a guy gets hurt. And because, you know, there's no fans, there's no anything. And then there's no clap when he gets up. So it's like, uh, that's probably the only time I really realize it. Uh, and it's, uh, it, you know, it, it kind of makes an injury a little bit more scary, seem more scary than it is. Uh, but that's other than that, like it's been it's been good. Uh, the NHL has done a good job of, of crowd noise and those things. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. But you're right with an injury. You always expect that applause or some people kind of murmuring in the fan or in the stands. But uh, right now, it's just that death silence, which is just very, uh, very eerie with it. Corey, one more before we take a quick break. And I want to get into this Vancouver Canucks series with you because I'm fascinated by this roster. But is there a series that intrigues you the most going into this first round? Uh, you know what? I, I, I'm not sure there's going to be more of a series that intrigues me than this St. Louis-Vancouver series. Yeah. Uh, because here you have a young team that, that doesn't realize the grind in front of them. They're young. they just got nothing better to do other than be in the bubble and play hockey, right? Hmm. Uh, a lot of them don't have families yet because they're so young. And then you have the St. Louis Blues that have been through the grind. They know it. They know what it's like. They know what's ahead of them. Do they want to make that commitment again? Um, so this series to me has the most intriguing matchup out of all of them across the league. And I'm, and I'm the blues are going to have their hands full chasing these young guys around and, you know, their, their experience and will to win is what would put them through this series. So I'm wondering if they have it anymore. Well, again, I am fascinated by this Vancouver Canucks team, and I want to get uh, Corey Hirsch's thoughts on that next. He is with us here on Behind the Bench. I'm Alex Ferrario. It's our extended playoff preview show here on 101 ESPN. We'll be back real quick uh, to talk more with Corey Hirsch. Back in here on a Wednesday night as the Blues and Canucks drop the puck a little bit later on, 9.30 puck drop here in St. Louis. We are talking with Corey Hirsch here on Behind the Bench former St. Louis Blues goaltending coach. Now he is an analyst in Vancouver for the Canucks for Sportsnet. Corey, let's talk this Vancouver team. And before we get into the roster, I'm curious from the head coach perspective because Travis Green, a former NHL player, a guy who was in the minors grinding it out, coaching for the Vancouver Canucks AHL affiliate, how impressed have you been with what Travis Green has been able to do with this Canucks roster? You know what? Where Travis is great is is that he can relate to um, these young guys, right? Like the old kind of the old regiment of school of coaching, that the iron fist and all that doesn't resonate with these guys anymore. So uh, you really have to you have to be different with them. You have to talk to them differently. Uh, you know they want to know why. They you know whereas in my generation we just played. You said they said go through the boards. You'd be like okay I'll do it. <laughs> Um, and then now these kids are like, well, why do you want me to do that? Right. So it's a different mentality. Uh, and he's done a nice job of being able to form those relationships with the players so that when it does arise that, you know, with these guys and you coach them differently and speak to them differently, that it, it's something that works for them. Right. It's not it, you, you have an iron fist with a lot of these kids, these new generation kids coming in. They they don't respond to that. Uh, and so Travis has done a great job of forging relationships where he, 
you know, takes the time to explain to these younger players about the game and what they need to do. And the part that catches me about Travis Green too, Corey, is kind of what we see in St. Louis with Craig Berube. I mean, you have a guy who played nearly a thousand games in the NHL. He wasn't a superstar by any means. He wasn't a, a Wayne Gretzky or a Brett Hall, but he managed to carry out a very lengthy and respectable career in the NHL, which I think resides a lot in a young locker room like uh, like Travis Green has in Vancouver. Yeah, absolutely. And and I, I you know, Barubi is a is a younger version of Ken Hitchcock. Okay, so everybody knows that. And I don't mean this verbally or anything or on the ice or whatever. But his style of play and then how he coaches that all comes from Hitch. Like he used to call Hitch when when I was in the locker room coaching with Hitch and those guys, um, and he used to call and, and from Philadelphia and ask you know then try and learn stuff from Hitch about the game. Now how he approaches the players and and you know how he deals with that stuff is a lot different than what Hitch does or did. Um, Hitch was more of a of a you know a little bit more of a yeller and and uh, you know different different style. But the 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 way he can get his players to get to another level of play. Is very similar to what what Ken Hitchcock could do. So um, really, you're just seeing a younger version of uh, and a newer version of, of a Ken Hitchcock coaching model. And, and you know, and, and Hitch was one of the greatest coaches of all time. I think he's top three and wins, top four and wins. So this to have Barubi now under that kind of mold, but with a different personality with these guys. Um, that's why he's winning, right? That's that's why he's doing such a great job. Well, and how much of that comes, Corey, from Travis being co- uh, coaching a, a, a majority of these players in the American Hockey League? I mean, to have so much of this roster know how Travis Green likes to play has to benefit this Canucks team when you get them all on the ice. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I thought that last question you asked me about Baruby, but that's Baruby's coaching stuff. As far as Travis... Um, Travis is a little bit he, – he's taken what he learned during his hockey career and what he didn't like about how he was coached, right? So, you know, he doesn't want to be like those guys that coached him that, you know, didn't get the best out of him. So, you know, for these – for him, he's more of a coach that he wants to play up-tempo. He doesn't – he played in the dead puck era where it was like you weren't allowed to be creative. Uh, and Travis was a creative player. So he wants his players to be – Creative. He wants that. He doesn't want to have those reins on him like like he did, and he's taken that coaching style into this with these kids, um, and he lets them go. Like he, we want you to be aggressive. We want you to be creative. We want you to have fun and enjoy the game, and it shows on the ice. I think the fascinating thing about this Canucks roster, and again, we're talking with Corey Hirsch, the uh, analyst for the Vancouver Canucks in Vancouver for Sportsnet, of course, the former goaltending coach here in St. Louis. The fascinating thing about this Canucks roster, Corey, is it's a bunch of guys that have grown in the system of Vancouver. And if you look at what St. Louis had last year, you know, you have Alex Petrangelo, you have Jordan Bennington, David Perron. The list goes on and on of guys who, who pretty much grew up up through the St. Louis system, that's this Vancouver team. I mean, when you look at the amount of first-round draft picks that were selected by Vancouver that'll be playing tonight, and then a couple of acquisitions to kind of, you know, complement the roster, it's a group of guys that know each other, that know each other like the back of their hand, and I think that's where success comes from, right? Absolutely, and the drafts, right? Like, that's it's, it's drafting players and keeping them together. That's where the Blues... Um, 
you know, have done a nice job. That's that's where, you know, Billy Armstrong's done a fantastic job. with you, you build a core group, right, from when they're young, and then eventually, hopefully, they can you can add a few pieces and um, and they, they grow together and they win together. And that's what the Canucks, the Canucks are really what, doing what the Blues did, right? And now the Blues, 10 years, 8, eight to 10 years later, are, are finally, uh, that, that paid off to them. So when you want to win in today's salary capital, you've got to develop your own players. Um, and you got to draft your own players. So the Canucks have, have basically followed the Blues model. Uh, that's really all they're doing. You know, take those core guys together. Well, and let's I mean, let's start with that. I mean, you talk about the goaltending for this team, and Jacob Markstrom, a player who was selected by the Florida Panthers, but of course he's been with Vancouver throughout his uh, throughout his AHL and NHL career. I mean, when you look at this goaltender, Corey, and this is your area of expertise as a former goaltender in the NHL and, of course, as a goaltending coach, this is a player to me that reminds me a lot of what Jordan Bennington was last year. Now, not so much the, the, the terms of, well, this guy came out of nowhere, but Markstrom seems like a goaltender that can steal hockey games and win you a series that Vancouver just really hasn't had for a while. Yeah, and Jacob Markstrom uh, has been dynamite. He's the reason that they are where they are. Uh, the last series, he wasn't great against Minnesota. Uh, but his team carried him through, right? And, and they and they owed him that. For they wouldn't even have been in a playoff series. Minnesota wasn't for him. That's how good he's been. Um, when Jacob Markstrom is in a situation where the team is the underdog, he is in a. That's when he plays his best. And I think this is going to be a situation where you're going to see the best of Jacob Markstrom moving forward. He seems like a guy too, Corey. That that doesn't get. He doesn't get. You know. He doesn't get rattled by things that happen, whether it's a goal that goes past him or a player that bumps into him or some snow being blown at his face. He doesn't seem to be bothered by that, which is very similar to what we saw with Bennington last year. Well, that's, as a goalie, you have to have thick skin, right? I mean, that's you, 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 there's, you won't make it if you don't, right? You just won't. Um, and Jordan Bennington, we saw him. He's, he's unflappable. When, when, when he gets in that zone, like, like what he was in Game Seven against Boston, when he, you're not beating him, you're just not beating him. And Jacob Markstrom's very similar in that sense. He's got a good goalie coach, um, and you know you have to be like that. Yeah, I think of the Marty Berdeurs, the Patrick Waz, those guys. Uh, you know, unflappable in those situations. And you know, unfortunately, in my career, I let a lot of things get to me. Yeah, <laughs> which is yeah, you know, which is why I wasn't Jordan Bennington or Jacob Markstrom, but. Uh, you really have to have a thick skin, and Markstrom has that. Well, it's the infamous quote from Jacques Plant in the goaltender position, right, Corey? You know, you try going to work and having a ton of people boo and yell at you with a red light going off every time you do something wrong. <laughs> it's not an easy thing to just yeah. forget about when you're on the ice and let something happen. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's like I said, part of being uh, a, a, you know, a goaltender is that you have to – you really have to – have that thick skin. It's there's so much going. Everything is you know depending on you stopping the puck, right? But defenseman can make a mistake, forward can make a mistake, but everyone looks at the goal. Um, and there's no there's no line of defense behind you, so it's imperative you have a thick skin. And the best I know that that are the best. The goals don't bother them. Things like that don't bother them. 
Um, and that's why they're the best. You talk about goaltenders, Corey, and I mean, your goaltender is as good as the defense in front of him, right? And defensively, this Vancouver team has taken a turn. Um, of course, a lot of that is surrounded by uh, a Quinn Hughes, who seems like he is just on a on a fast track to being an elite defenseman in the NHL. But some other pieces as well. You know, when you look at Christopher Tanev or a Tyler Myers, they have some players that add some grit to that blue line that I think is something that Vancouver has been lacking over the last few years. Well, they really have. And, and as you see with Petrangelo, you have to have a high-end defenseman if you want to win. You, you just can't. You can't get through without a guy that you can, that can carry the play the way that Petro did. And the Canucks finally have that with Quinn Hughes. That, that's been the difference. They finally have a defenseman that can can carry the mail, play those minutes, um, and, and be that mature, you know, good defenseman and get out of trouble in your zone. And that's what Petrangelo did for the Blues, right? They, yeah. It's You have to have that guy. And if you don't, you're not going to win. You see Edmonton and Toronto, they don't have that guy. No disrespect to the guys they have. They've got good defensemen. But you need a guy like Petrangelo or Quinn Hughes if you want to be a competitive team. You got to have a guy who, who, when the puck on is on his stick, you know something is going to happen. And just from watching Quinn Hughes play in that Minnesota qualifying round, Corey, he was a guy that seemed to always have the puck on his stick. But when he did, you were kind of on the edge of your seat waiting to see what would happen. Yeah, and that's right. And then he carried you through. Yeah. Uh, if they don't have him, you know, you don't you don't win those games. You, you really don't. Uh, he reminds me a lot of Brian Leach. Uh, mm. and I'm, let's not call him Brian Leach, but he reminds me a lot of Brian Leach. He's got a long way to go to be that, uh, but just that smooth, you know, uh, smart little wrist shots to the net. Um, this guy is, is a player to watch. Uh, and I, I, if you're going to watch anybody in this series, you should watch him. Offensively, guys like Elias Pettersson, Bo Horvat, Brock Besser, these players ha- have gone to the front of a lot of people's conversations when you talk about young hockey talent in the NHL. And yes, these guys are former first-round first draft picks, high first-round draft picks, but that always doesn't mean you're going to see success. What is it that has turned the corner for those players, Corey, of why they're having so much success offensively. You know what, JT Miller's a big part of it. Uh, him coming in, being a veteran guy, uh, and putting a veteran player on that line has changed a lot for those guys. They've learned a ton from him. Uh, you know, and and also you got to give Jim Benning credit because what he did is he's kept the team competitive. He didn't just go, we're going to put a bunch of young guys on the ice and watch them lose for three or four years by keeping them competitive. It actually has helped raise their game, and they learn how to win rather than lose. Uh, you know, and losing, losing and winning are something that you learn, and, and something that you know can become a, a habit almost. And Jim Benning has done a nice job of putting veteran players around these young guys, um, giving them a chance to be good players, right, and to build confidence. And I think that's probably where it comes from. Is there a player that's kind of flown under the radar on this team? Corey that, that people don't talk about because like I mentioned you know Horvat and Besser and Patterson JT Miller these are the names that people are talking about but yeah. as many know to, to win in the NHL you have to have a team mentality and, and there are guys on that third and fourth line that, that are having some good seasons and I'm curious just who sticks out to you Tyler Mott is a guy you watch him he's on the fourth line you won't notice him uh, he penalty kills he blocks shots he's a, he's a, he's a pest on the ice but it's, you won't notice that he's a pest. Like you won't, you'll be like. But at the end of the night, 
This guy will have like five or six block shots. He'll be a key on the penalty kill. He's not going to get the credit of scoring points. But when he is in the lineup, it makes the Canucks that better. I, I would, you know, I, I, I would almost, you know, is there a fourth-line player on the Blues that's like that? You know, uh, maybe Blaze, uh, as I'm thinking. You know, a guy that just this kind of works and, and can be that guy. Uh, that's, that's a guy that's more unsung on this team. You know, you mentioned a guy who who can kind of be a pest on the ice, and I know everyone in St. Louis will remember this name, Antoine Roussel. This is another guy. He may not be lighting up the scoreboard every night, Corey, but he's a guy who can get under the skin of the the opposition. And for a team that is so good on the power play, those players are vital in a playoff series. They they really are. Uh, and Roussel is, uh, you know what else he is? He's a, he's a talker. And in a situation like this where there's no fans, um, he's probably a guy that on the bench can keep your team going, right? Like just keeps them on their toes and uh, little things. And, and he's, a, he's a charismatic character that will create electricity around his team, right? So he's a guy that, that is really important to the Canucks. Um, and he brings the team together in a sense. And he'll be a pest on the ice, but, you know, He's also the same guy that he'll be a pest, but on the ice, most people don't know about this. He'll have the other team laughing about something that he says. <laughs> That's just the way he is. That's so funny you said that because the only thing I'm thinking of when you're when you're describing him, Corey, was Steve Ott in his NHL playing career. Like the guy who could bring people together. Yeah. He could just really tick you off on the other to- other side, but you also go back to your bench and you laugh about it. And sometimes those guys are priceless <laughs> when it comes to a team. <laughs> They're great for the league too. They really are. And then you know, off the ice, you, you just you want to have a beer with them, right? right? Even though you hated them on the ice. <laughs> <laughs> and he's he's that for the Canucks. Those are the best hockey players. We're talking with Corey Hirsch. He is talking uh, Vancouver Canucks and St. Louis Blues series with us. It's behind the bench. We're very grateful for his time with us tonight. We'll take a quick break. Come back and wrap it up. I want to get his thoughts on the Blues. He talked about Baruby there for a second, so we'll do that next as we wrap up tonight here on 101 ESPN. Final time here on Behind the Bench, our extended Blues playoff preview as we are talking with Corey Hirsch, analyst for the Vancouver Canucks and Sportsnet for Vancouver, and of course, the former goaltending coach in St. Louis. Corey, I want to go back to something that you talked about last segment, and that was Craig Berube kind of modeling his coaching style after Ken Hitchcock, and you do see that an awful lot with how he uh, how he is behind the bench and how he is with the players. But the difference is the way that he connects with his players, and it seems to be the successful recipe right now. It really is, um, and I, you know, Ken Hitchcock has a long history of winning, and there's a reason he he won, right? I mean, because he's a smart hockey man. He's, he knows the game inside and out. And I know Barubi learned a lot from him. So as far as the technical side goes to the game um, and how to motivate people, that's, you know, that's an attribute to, to Barubi and, and what he's learned from Ken Hitchcock. Now, it's a different generation of player, right? So Barubi has benefited from, you know, taking what he learned from Hitchcock, but also but applying it to what, you know, he knows that these kids need to, to have and these players need to have as a, as a coach because he was a player that played in the league too. And, and, and things have changed. A lot of things have changed. So what he's done is, um, is actually quite remarkable that he's made this uh, a craft where, you know, he's going to go down as one of, the, one of the best coaches in the National Hockey League, Ruby. I have no doubt about that because players respect him. Uh, he knows the game technically inside and out, and, and he knows how they want to be coached. 
As a coach, Corey, how difficult is that to to gain the ear and respect of your locker room? You know what? It's as, as a, you, yeah. Especially in today's day and age. Before, previously, when guys didn't make this much money, uh, like I said, they just did everything they could to stay in the league. Now you've got guys making seven, eight million dollars on seven, eight year deals. They're set for life, right? Like they don't. The money isn't isn't an, an issue. They don't have to, um, you know, do something that they don't want to do. Like they financially, they're they're fine. So if, if they want to tune out a coach, they can tune out a coach, and the coach is going to go before they go. You know, years prior it used to be the other way around. You could just get rid of players. So now you have to you have to coach players the way that they want to be coached. It's such a different generation, and it doesn't make them make them arrogant or bad people or anything. Like they they, but they they have a say in how they want to be coached. In Ruby's generation. They didn't. They didn't have that say, um, and you have to adapt to that as a coach. Uh, and I think he's done a great job of it. Yeah, he's done a, ph- a phenomenal job with this one, and that's why this Blues team always seems to be so favored in games because Baruby has that ear of the locker room. I'm curious, Corey, because you are very familiar with a lot of these Blues players on this roster still from your time as a coach in St. Louis. Going into this round robin, you know, people were wondering if the four month layoff was going to to halt some of the progress that the Blues made towards the end of the season and it wasn't the best round robin for this blues team so it seems to be people are kind of expecting the blues to struggle a little bit i'm curious your thoughts on just this blues team even after a slow round robin series yeah they know how to win you you don't win a stanley cup without knowing how to win so regardless of what this team happened in the round robin uh, they're the type of team that knows how to win and can turn it on when they need to turn it on. Uh, they knew that the round robin wasn't didn't really mean anything to them. Uh, they know that you got to play the best teams anyways, so it didn't matter. I, I think it didn't matter uh, what the, they saw it as. Why are we going to beat the crap out of ourselves in this round robin? We know what's in front of us. You have to play the best teams anyways. It's a grind. Um, you know, even the first round matchups are going to be tough. So I, I could see them not putting as much into the first round, into that round robin, as you know, as only as much as they needed to. And it didn't matter who they played. And I could see them in this first round. Okay, now we're playing for real, boys. This is where it happened. Well, and that's been the thing for for me, at least watching this team, Corey, is is they're they're a group of guys who know how to turn the switch on. I mean, they were able to turn the switch on last year when things weren't going well and continue on. Now, this one's in a little bit shorter of a time frame, but as we talked about earlier, a team that has leadership that has been there before, guys like Alexander Steen, Alex Petrangelo, um, even a Jake Allen on the back end who's not the number one starter – these guys know when it's important to turn things on, and when elimination is right behind you, that's when things seem to kick in. Yeah, and, and this isn't a team where you look at them and go, oh, a bunch of skilled guys making a lot of money, you know, they're just arrogant, and, you know, they're full of themselves, and then they get beat by their own arrogance, right? This is a St. Louis Blues team that is kind of, they're a lunch pail team. Like, they know that it's the hard work that it takes. They don't, they're not a team that you're going to, you're going to beat them because they were too arrogant, you know, uh, and and really think that they're that they're too good for everybody else. That's not this type of team. So, you know, the Blues. The question for me with the Blues again is going to be, you know, whether or not they want to go through two months of this um, because that's why, and it's why you don't see back-to-back champions anymore because they know how long of a grind it is. But they've just had a four-month break, right? 
So, and they're going to get another three-month break, or at least an eight-week break, after this is over. So, um, you know, do they want to go through the grind again? Uh, and can they see the light at the end of the tunnel? The only way they're going to, I think, they're going to lose is if they don't want to do the grind again. Well, and when you think of the players, too, that, that are on this roster, yes, there are some young players, but it's not like what Vancouver has when you look at you know guys like Alex Petrangelo, Alexander Steen, Ryan O'Reilly. Some of these players are 30, and although that's not old in terms of hockey sense, those players do have family and children at home compared to Vancouver, where a lot of these guys have significant others, girlfriends, family members, but they don't have kids waiting for them at home because they're still kids. They have that advantage, I feel like, in a bubble, in a bubble scene. That's exactly it, right? Like they, this is this is where they would be anyway. Right? Yeah, <laughs> they would be, they'd be at home in, in Minnesota or where or wherever, you know, on the ice because you know they've got nowhere else to be. They don't have family obligations and kids and all that. Whereas a lot of the Blues, being an older veteran team, do. So uh, you know, you might, Bo Horvat just had a little baby. You know, that's going to wear on him a little bit, but. Uh, this series and, and this playoffs might benefit younger teams because, like, as, uh, when I was playing, August 1, I was on the ice when I was young and single, right? I was like, yeah. and it was six weeks till training camp. But I was like, get me on the ice. And then as you get a little bit older, it becomes like August 10th, August 18th, right? You know, <laughs> you, know you spend a little bit more time at home. But these young guys, there's nowhere else they'd rather be. Like, other than playing hockey and and hanging out every day, they they've got this is their this is their situation. This is their this is their lifestyle. Uh, so um, that's the only way I can see the Blues losing. I'll tell you, Corey, a player that 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 fits this mold of a family man has kids at home, wants to be home, wants to be around his family, but also fits the mold of a guy who is a gamer who who just wants to be on the ice is Vladimir Tarasenko. And you know Vladimir Tarasenko as a player during your time here in St. Louis. The amount of time that he has been away from hockey and for how healthy he is and being in this bubble, from another team's perspective, it seems like that would be a big concern. Yeah, so it, and, and I know Vladdy from uh, you know from coaching him, and he's a guy that you have to you have to push off the ice, right? <laughs> uh, off the ice, he's not the hard, he doesn't work out as hard as everybody else would like him to, but he's the type of guy. And I played with guys like these. You get them on the ice, and they're little kids. They they just they, that's all they want to do is play hockey, and I, I think Tarasenko is is that is that type of guy. So uh, you know, in a situation like this. Uh, he could be a, a really huge factor uh, for the Blues, um, and and he's a great player, right? I mean, he's 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 going to go down as one of the best players to ever play in Blues history. A couple more questions for Corey Hirsch, who is grateful with his time joining us tonight here on Behind the Bench. Corey, we talked about Alex Petrangelo. You mentioned him as an elite defenseman in the NHL. I'm more curious of your your perspective of him as a leader because this was a guy who took that captaincy from David Backus when he went as a free agent and really has never looked back. And a lot of people have questioned Petrangelo as a leader and can he be a captain? Can he help this team through the grind? But watching what he did last year and this season with this team – that that makes him that much more of an elite defenseman. Yeah, and you know what? I, I feel like he got an unfair rap for something, and I don't know where it came from. Um, even when he was a junior hockey player, uh, there was talk about his character and his leadership abilities. And I'm like, where did this come from? Right. Um, I know Petro. I coached him. He is one of the best guys that that I know, and teammates. And he's not he's not that he's not a real big vocal rah rah guy. But he's a, he's a good person. He's got a huge heart. He wants to win. Um, 
And I don't know where that came from. And I'm glad that last year he was able to lead that team to a Stanley Cup because uh, you'd think that he put it all behind him. And it's, it's too bad that people think that of him um, because he's done that with the Blues. Uh, and that was the best decision they made was giving him the captaincy. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you, Corey, on that one. And it's great to hear that side of it from a coach's perspective of the type of person that he is. We all know in St. Louis who he is, but from a coach's perspective, that says an awful lot about the player. Corey, final one for you, and we appreciate you talking so much about the Blues and the Canucks in the NHL series. But dropping the puck tonight between these two teams – it, it doesn't feel like a rivalry because they only see each other three times a year and they're not in the same division. But when they meet in the playoffs, the history between these two teams, it does give you a sense of like old, old style hockey when they meet up, doesn't it? It, it, it really does. Um, and the fact that Green and Baruby played against each other yeah. is going to make it even better. I, they may have even been teammates. I'm not sure at some point. Uh, I'm not sure on that. Don't quote me about that. But. I, I just I, I love it. I love that both teams have been built the same, but one team is is a few years ahead of the other. Uh, well, maybe four or five years ahead of the other, but it's just it's a great um, measuring stick for the Canucks, and they are going to give the Blues fits and everything they can handle. Uh, but it's going to be a great series. If the Canucks want to win this series, Corey, what do they have to do to beat St. Louis in seven games? They have to make St. Louis not want to be in the bubble. And what I mean by that is they have to make them work and work and work and be relentless and not quit and try and push them out of it to make them feel like it's going to be better to be at home than be on the ice. Well, it's going to be an interesting series. Again, these two teams meet up for the fourth time in both franchise history in the postseason. Blue's still unable to win a series against Vancouver going into tonight's matchup. Corey Hirsch, cannot say thank you enough for joining us. You were always so much fun to talk to in St. Louis, your time as a head coach, or your time as the goaltending coach, and, of course, now on the Vancouver Canucks side as an analyst. So thank you again for joining us. Enjoy this series, and uh, we hope to catch up again down the road. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Once again, Corey Hirsch, goaltending coach for the St. Louis Blues for a few years. Now he is in Vancouver as a radio analyst and, of course, of Sportsnet covering the Vancouver Canucks. Some great perspective there of these two teams going head-to-head, and I cannot say it enough. Playoff hockey is back, and I am so pumped up for this one tonight. We still have some time to get to, though. Before we get to puck drop, Chris Kerber, Joe Vitale at 9.30. Pre-game with me starts at 8.30. We got extended more playoff preview for you moving forward. We are going to talk with Keith Kachuk about the playoff history between these two teams. We're going to get more perspective on the Canucks side with Ben Kuzma, who covers the team on a daily basis. We're going to flash you back to the regular season to remind you of what the hell happened for the St. Louis Blues team. And I'm excited about this one. We're going to have a Riz Show roundtable with the Rizzuto guys from 105.7 The Point. So plenty more to get into. Plenty more hockey talk for you. But that is going to do it for our Behind the Bench show tonight presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Do want to remind you the home show sales going on now at Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Update your home with savings on all types of flooring, including solid, reclaimed, wide plank, and more. Visit one of the showrooms in Crestwood, Manchester, St. Peter's, or online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. Boardwalk Hardwood Floors, great floors for every home with better selection, better value, and the best service. We'll take another break and come back. More of our playoff preview show here on 101. 
101 ESPN leading you up to puck drop. Blues and Canucks, round one, game one, right here on your home for the St. Louis Blues, 101 ESPN.